It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Well, good morning, church. Glad that you're here today. Thanks for taking time to be with us this morning. Uh, thank you for those who are joining us online. And uh, I've already met two or three brand new people this morning. That's always great to see new folks in the church. So welcome. Glad that you're here today. Um, thank you for your faithfulness to the church in this time of uh, transition. My name is Les Nor- Moore, by the way, in case you don't know. Uh, I'm the interim pastor. And uh, uh, our church is um, searching for a new pastor. And so continue to pray uh, for our church in the time of transition. Our church board is diligently, uh, faithfully working with our district superintendent. And uh, we're having some good days in spite of uh, not having a regular pastor here. So hang in there, pray for me, that I'll be able to preach the Word of God the way God has asked me to do and laid on my heart. It's my joy and and my privilege. Um, You know, I I also want to say thanks for for your financial faithfulness as the church uh, is in the transition. Uh, there's still needs, and just in, uh, by the way, I'm very glad for the, for the uh, weather this morning. It's cooler. It could be hotter than blazes, right, in September. That's because you don't have hay fields. It's because I don't have hay fields. That's right. Well, I thought you were supposed to get your hay up by yesterday, so I, you know, uh, you've probably been slack and watching too much TV. Uh, ne- never mind. I don't know even why, where that came from. Uh, yes, pray for the farmers. Uh, but we have an air conditioner that went out in this unit. Uh, you know, this building, I think, is uh, 20-some years old. And uh, this last week in staff, we talked about the fact that I think there's two units in here, if I'm not mistaken. One of them went out. And it's going to be about uh, 30-some thousand dollars plus electrical. So thank you for your faithfulness. Um, the needs go on of the church and all kinds of stuff going on and happening. And so uh, appreciate it very much. Well, hey, this morning, I want to start... Uh, I I want to take two or three Sundays. Let's see how it works out. But I want to talk to us about the Bible, the significance of the Holy Word of God. It seems to me like there are times when we need to step back a bit and just talk about what is it we believe, why is it we believe what we believe, uh, what's the validity of the Word of God, can we count on it, is it it true, is it something we can stake our lives on? And and I think what what I want to say... Uh, probably is a little bit too much to digest in one Sunday. And so we'll take uh, two or three Sundays and take some time to kind of lean into this. Um, and, and what we're going to find is that the Bible has a lot to say about itself. Uh, people in the Bible have a lot to say about the Bible, but the Scripture itself speaks, it testifies to itself. It's like it's on a stand, and it raises its right hand, and it says, I pledge to swear the truth, the whole truth about the truth. And, and it, it speaks of itself. Now, this morning, um, I, I want to read from two, two passages, one Old Testament, one New. And really, they're, they're kind of like the same scripture. But what I want you to see is that they're in the both the Old and the New. And uh, so, oh, let's see, I forgot my glasses. I pardon, pardon me about that. Sometimes, you know, I am getting older. I had a birthday last week. Or was it the week before, honey? I, I can't even remember anymore when my birthday is. And... Uh, so uh, I'm not getting any younger. 
So take your, your Bibles and open up, first of all, to Isaiah chapter 40. Some of you will be familiar with this, this chapter. It, it has some messianic stuff in it that's really cool. Um, and, and then we're going to flip over to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. And uh, if you don't have the word, I hope you brought your book this morning. If you didn't, it'll be on the screen. But uh, I want to read a few verses from chapter 40. And then we're going to read a few verses from 1 Peter chapter 1. So um, in honor of the word of God, uh, let's stand. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to begin reading with verse 3. Verse 3. It's about a voice that's calling in the wilderness. Here we go. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley, it's going to be raised up and every mountain will, and hill, it'll be made low. The rough ground, will, well, it's going to be made level and rugged places will be plain. And the glory of the Lord, it will be revealed. Oh, I love that phrase. And all mankind together, they're going to see it. And this is how we know. For the mouth of the Lord, God has spoken it. That's how we know it's going to happen. Now a voice cries out. And I said, what shall I cry? And here was the answer. All men are like grass. And all their glory, <laughs> it's like the flowers of the field. The grass withers. And should I also say the hay this time of year? <laughs> the grass withers. And the flowers fall or fail. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Here it comes now. But the word of our God doers stands forever. Amen. Now in First Peter, in the New Testament, Peter kind of picks up on this. Chapter 1. And I want to start with verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring, here it comes now, word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord, and it stands forever. Wow. Now, Lord, this is your word. It's, it's not our word. It's, this is not man's word. This is God's word. And today, we, we rest in your word, Lord. And we give you praise for your word. We're so grateful. Thy, thy word is a powerful thing to us. It's sharper than any, sharper than any double-edged sword. And Lord, this morning, we don't want to hear from a man. We want to hear from you. So my prayer this morning, God, is, is, is the same. 
as always. I, I pray, Lord, that you would hide the messenger behind the cross. We want to see Jesus today and Jesus only. We've heard enough from man. Lord, we want to hear from you. So, Lord, um, speak through my lips and keep me from saying anything I shouldn't say. And, Lord, reveal to us what we need to know, both corporately and individually. Uh, Lord, your word is faithful. So may your word be spoken today. And we will give you all praise and honor and glory for your faithfulness to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, so let me just start by saying this. Uh, there's no doubt about this. You know this probably. But there's been a battle for the Bible. A battle over Scripture, the Word of God, for decades. It's nothing new, and at times um, it's reached a pitch so great that uh, people in the church have sat back and said, well, we, we must do something to speak on behalf of the Word of God so people know what our stance is. To say nothing is, it would, would not be good. In the early 40s, uh, there was a group by the name of well, Protestant Evangelicals, the National Association of Evangelicals, they became so concerned about uh, biblical issues, they decided to come together from all corners of the world and to define who they were. Who are we as the church? I mean, we might be Baptists and we might be Nazarenes, and we might be Methodists, we might be this, that, and the other. But what do, we, what do we believe that is so important? Here's where we hang our hat. These are the fundamentals of what we believe on. Now, there's a lot of things we disagree on, but let's not worry about that. There's a lot of stuff to fight over in the church, amen? <laughs> let's not go there. <laughs> what is it that we... We say, this is the bottom line. The, 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 what do we call that in math? The least common denominator. What is it that we say, this is what we're willing to die over? And they came up with seven statements. Seven statements. And I brought, I brought one of the pamphlets with me this morning. The very first statement of the seven has to do with the Bible. The Word of God which I think is pretty cool. And here's the simple statement. We believe the Bible to be the inspired, the only infallible, authoritative word of God. Now that's the statement. And I, I probably should say that Protestant denominations all around the world, of all size and colors, have, have rallied around this statement. And they said, this is what we believe. The Word of God, it is inspired, the only infallible and authoritative Word of God. Now, you know, our Nazarene manual, uh, here, here's a manual of the Church of the Nazarene. So if you're a Nazarene, if you're a Nazarene pastor, every a Nazarene pastor probably has one of these. They should. Um, there's, we have what we call articles of faith. 
The articles of faith are the things that we believe that are so important, we need to come together in agreement on them. And there's 16 of them. And, uh, and, and the one in the Bible, it says this. Uh, we, are, we believe in the plenary inspiration. Now, I don't know who wrote the, writes these things, but <laughs> plenary sounds an awful lot like canary. Uh, anytime I read this, people say, what does plenary mean? Well, why don't they just break it down? I mean, this simple word. That, so let me break it down, okay? We believe in the full inspiration. Plenary, full. Inspiration of the Holy Scripture by which we understand the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments given by divine inspiration inerrantly reveal the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to our salvation so that whatever is not contained therein is not to be enjoined as an article of faith. So whenever in our 16 articles of faith, if it's not in the Bible, throw it out. All right, I, I guess that's kind of a crude way of saying it, but I'm kind of a crude guy sometimes, so it is what it is. We believe in the inspiration of the Scripture. We believe it's authoritative. It's our rule of thumb. It's our plumb line. We believe that it's inerrant, that is without error in all things pertaining to being saved or salvation. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Okay. So far, so good. Um, so, uh, let me... Let me introduce a whole different thought now. Um, I suppose that uh, most of you have at least heard of the book, maybe read it. Uh, it's entitled Of Mice and Men. Anybody remember Of Mice and Men? Uh, when I was a kid in school, I think it was required reading. Um, and I don't know, it might have been thrown out of the school by now. I, I really don't know. But of my, John Steinbeck's, I think it was like 1937, which was, by the way, before I was born. But apparently it had enough an impact on our society that uh, we're supposed to read it. And, and, and it's, it's kind of a comparison between a, a man by the name of George, a small man, but he's kind of quick-witted, and his best friend, who is a giant gentleman by the name of Lenny, who, who is kind of like a, uh, a brick short. Uh, he didn't have all of his faculties mentally, um, and, 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 and it was a comparison of this, this one witty man to the man who had, didn't, didn't have a whole lot of wit at all. A comparison. And so there you have of mice and men. So uh, being the brilliant, intelligent kind of a guy that I am, uh, reading this scripture, I decided to call this of grass and of folk. Because it's a comparison. When you look at this, what we just read this morning in the Old and New Testament, this is a comparison between man and God's Word. And it doesn't take a whole lot to figure this out. The Word of God will stand forever. Uh, men, on the other hand, <laughs> they're going to be like, hey, I, I'm sorry, I did not mean to bring that up. That just... It's like flowers. It's going to, it's going to, well, one translation says fail. It's going to fail. The translation we read this morning says it's going to fall. But the word of our God is eternal. 
It never, ever, ever will end. It will never fail. It will never fall. So you got this comparison of grass and of folk that is so strong in the word of God. Interesting thing, I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was not raised as a Christian. Uh, when he was first married, he was a drinker, smoker, chewer, whatever. Uh, he had a monkey when he was in the army as a sergeant, and they used to get it drunk and have fun as they watched it try to swing in the trees. That was my dad. By the time I was born, my dad was a full-blown, radical Jesus man. Amen. My dad had come to God. Ah. Thank the Lord for godly dads and moms. There, there is no perfect dads or moms. Um, but my dad was a gentleman. Uh, he was a supervisor of a bus fleet in Northern California. Mechanic kind of a guy. But uh, my dad loved the Lord. He was an uneducated man. We were, we were raised as poor kids, poor family. Uh, but my dad loved the Lord. He had a strong work ethic, just never made much money. My dad loved the Word of God. I, I remember as a boy being taught to have a high level of respect for the Bible. Um, it wasn't a legalistic thing. It was a a love affair with God's word. Those are two different things. My dad just loved God's word. Somehow that filtered down into my life. You know, I know a lot of people read the Bible from this, and that's okay with me. I, don't, I have no judgment on that. Somehow I love holding the Bible in my hand. I love sitting down and just reading it, feeling the pages. Um... When I was a kid, I remember if we laid the Bible down, it always had to be on the top of whatever was on the table. You couldn't, you couldn't put anything on top of the Bible. Anybody remember this? I mean, anybody like me? We had such a, we had such a respect for the Word of God that it was a simple thing, but... You just wouldn't put anything on top of the Bible. It was a symbolic thing to say, the Bible's the most important thing of anything. It's a simple little corny thing, but man, that stuck with me to this day. Did I tell you I, I, I was a year older this last week? <laughs> to this day, I, 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 I could not put anything on top of my Bible. It's instilled in me. It's ingrained in my DNA. The respect I have for the Word of God. You know, uh, by the way, Americans, they say that 85% of all American homes, uh, 86%, no, 85%, have a Bible in it. A lot of homes have multiple Bibles. Anybody here like that? (laughs) And you can't throw them away. I I got two or three Bibles that I've had over the years. I just can't throw them away. I don't know what to do with them. They're so worn out, you can't read them. They're they're black on the pages because they've been thumbed through so much. But but I I don't know what to do with them. So they're in a box because I can't can't stand to throw them away. Um, 
86% of Americans believe that God's, the Bible is holy. Now, they might interpret things differently, but they believe there's something special about the Bible. And, um, you, you know, you've probably heard me say, I mean, just, just in face value, it took 1,500 years to write the Bible. More than 40 different authors. Generations. On three different, three different continents. And the amazing thing is, through all those cultures and languages, and it, it agrees with itself. I mean, by land, I don't even know. You get two Nazarenes together, you got four different opinions. <laughs> Yet here's the Bible written over in three different languages. Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And these people from different cultures and lands, they still agree. The Bible agrees with itself. That's a miracle in itself. So no wonder why most people in America believe, okay, there's something unique about this, this thing we call the Bible. But the Bible, is, it's clear and it's consistent throughout. Proverbs Chapter 30, verse 5, it says, Every word of God is flawless. Verse 6. Do not add to his words. We all know what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I... Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light of my path. A little later on he goes on, but thy, thy word I've hid in my heart here that I may not sin against God. You know, it's one reason why we're so adamant about teaching our children the Word of God when they're young. We must get the Word of God in their lives. Help them memorize Scripture. That's why we're, we, we, we love Bible quizzing. Um, it, it's our version of the Jewish people who, who, remember a couple, two or three weeks ago, we talked about these different schools in the Jewish nation where children are learned to they memorize the scripture, and by the time they're 10 or 11 or 12, they've got the whole law of Moses memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and, and some of us can't even memorize a verse. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some, how that plans out, how it filters out into this, this Bible next week. I don't have time today. But um, just kind of getting a foundation here of the scripture. I mean, John the Revelator, in, in the book of Revelation, he, he writes in chapter 21, I warn you, don't add and don't take away any words of this prophecy. That's how, that's how critically unique, how spot on the words are. If you change the words, better not do that. Jesus himself, I mean, Jesus speaks of the eternal nature of, of the scripture many times, but Matthew 5, 18, for instance, he, he tells the crowds on the, the mounts of Beatitudes. He, he says, I assure you, until heaven and earth disappear, even the smallest detail of God's law will remain until it has achieved its purpose. <laughs> the smallest iota of God's word, it will not change until it's there's another scripture that says God's word will never return to him void. Jesus is all over this. Matthew 24, Jesus says heaven and earth will disappear, but my words, now he's talking about himself. 
My words, they will remain forever. Chapter 24, verse 35. Uh, The apostles of the church, they stand in agreement with what I'm saying this morning. So if you wonder where Peter and John and, and others, I mean, here's Paul. He writes to Rome in Romans. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, I like that one. Anybody need some hope this morning? Anybody discouraged? You need a little dose of hope? Well, Paul says this has been written that you might have hope. How many of you ever read the word of God and you got a good dose of hope from it? You go, woo, I'll take this. This is, this is spurring me on. And then John, John in his fourth gospel, chapter 20, verse 31, he, he tells us literally about the purpose of God's word. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So I'm just telling you, The Bible speaks very plainly for itself. So do the apostles, the prophets, Jesus himself. I mean, Jesus made it very clear. I talked about this a little bit last week. Remember when Jesus met the two guys on the road to Emmaus? And and, and he's he's a little baffled because they're so amazed about what's gone on in Jerusalem, the holy city, when the prophet of, of God, Jesus the Christ, was crucified, dead, and buried, and now some say he's resurrected. And Jesus said, well, why are you guys so slow to believe what, what I told you all along? And then he catches up with the, with, with the disciples, and, and he tells them, this is what I told you. I told you this was going to happen. And then he catches up with the Pharisees and, and the, the, the religious guys, and he says, you guys are so slow to believe. The scriptures testify about me. So the eternal nature of this whole word, God's word. Um, Everything that we know and experience in life, someday will fall. Now you think about it. You name something. Name that tune. It ain't going to last. I don't care what it is. Whatever we experience on Mother Earth, it's going to be dead and gone. Burned by fire. Destroyed. There'll be nothing left. Except for one thing. Guess what it is? God's word. God's word. Will never fall. Bring on the skeptics. Bring on the critics. Let them say what they're going to say. God's word is eternal. How come? Well, because he's God. If you're God, you get to do what you want. Have you notice that? <laughs> kind of like be mom or dad in the house. Why, mom? Because I said so. <laughs> right? He's God. F- funny thing, have you ever heard of Voltaire? <laughs> uh, Voltaire was some highfalutin philosopher. Thought he knew a lot, French historian. He was a true skeptic of Christianity. In fact, he said Christianity will not, it will not even last for 50 years. 
It's just a fad. Are you aware that the Geneva Bible Society, 50 years after his death, moved into his home? (laughs) And they used his own printing press to print thousands of copies of the Bible and distribute all around the world. Who gets the last laugh on that one? Voltaire, who, like the grass, will wither and die and be gone. But God's word? I think if Voltaire lived again, he might be more, a little more careful what he says. The egg is on his face. So it's, it's common knowledge. There have been skeptics and those who have tried to stamp it out, get rid of it, burn it. But by now, not just millions and millions, but billions and billions and billions of Bibles have been published since it was first written. 2008 alone, over 300 million copies. Dozens of languages, in fact, hundreds, in fact, thousands, 2,400 languages just in that year alone. Now we have the internet, and you can read the Bible in any, any, any language and any um, version you want. They're all there, right there. Right at your hand, the scripture. Um, so, so the question is, I guess, the question that I want to probe into next week a little bit, is how do we know um, how do we know the Bible is is valid? What is the credulity standard? How do we judge? Let's just talk about how we judge literature. How do you judge literature as a westernized as a westernized scientific, logical thinking person? How do you judge literature? Well, I think I'm going to lean into that next week a little bit. And you will find that the Bible has far more credulity than any other piece of literature on the face of the earth. I mean, if you're just taking by facts how we judge things, you're going to find out next week. Now, too much to give to you today. Um, What do they say? The mind can only endure what the... Take in what the seat can endure, something like that. So I don't, I don't want to throw the whole thing at you. Did you all you ever hear about the farmer? Uh, a couple farmers showed up to church, but they're the only ones that showed up to church. I think the other ones were out baling hay. <laughs> don't know where that came from, just, just saying. So they stood at the back of the church and they asked the preacher. They said, well, what do you... I don't know, nobody's here, but just us two. The preacher said, well, what do you want to do? They said, well, you know... If we went out to the field to feed the cows, and only two showed up, we'd still feed those two cows. So let's have church. Preacher said, all right, come on in. They came in, sang songs, preacher preached. Church was over. The church preacher stood at the back door to greet the two guys as they left. So what would you guys think? How was church this morning? They said, well, preacher, like we said, you know, if we went out to feed the cows on the field and only two showed up, we'd, we'd, we'd feed those two cows. But we wouldn't give them the whole thing. <laughs> now, for some of you, it's kind of like that. But just, you'll, you'll catch up. You'll catch up. Yeah. So let me just give you a couple of thoughts and then we're done. Um, 
So how do we know? I mean, how do we know that what we hold in our hands here is, is credible? How, how do we know that it represents what was written thousands of years ago? I mean, if this thing took 1,500 years to write, and now it's been a couple thousand, it's been thousands of years since some of it's been written, how do we know it's credible? How do we know it's true? So, um, let me just make a statement. You've probably heard me say this in the past, but let me say it a little more succinctly. It's my opinion, my personal opinion, that when the Bible was written, God, uh, God was totally involved in the Word of God. His DNA is all over it. Um, you know, if you go to cemetery, I mean seminary, if you go to seminary, uh, Bible school, whatever, uh, and, and you, go through, um, you, you go through the history of how the Bible came about, the origin of the Bible, uh, what did it go through, what's the process, how did we get this Bible, um, yada, 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 um, you'll, ha- you'll come up with a theory of, of transmission. You'll come up with an idea of how we got our Bible. Um, we have our own theologies, and they're very strong. They're very, they're very important. But it seems to me, the more I've thought about this, what, what, I believe God is superintendent, you might say, superintended. He, he's overseen. He's, he's micromanaged the writing of his word, the, 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 the miraculous transmission of his word. God has been so involved in that. And he, and he was because he wanted to assure us that what we have is accurate from one generation to the next. So what does God do? Well, the first thing God does, I mean, you stop and think about this now. The very first thing God does in history is he chooses a people. Now, I hate to tell you, it's not America. He did this a long time before America was even thought about. He chose a people called the Hebrews. We call them today Jews, the Jewish people. He chose these little insignificant nobodies to be his representatives, to kind of hover over them, to guide them, to lead them, to teach them who he was, so they could be a sounding voice for the rest of the world. I mean, these little people were nothing. We wouldn't even know they existed unless God stepped into their life. And the reality is because they're so important to the history of our world, today they're even under attack. We call it anti-Semitism. The Jewish people are probably more under attack today than they've ever been. I mean, we all know the history of the Jews under Hitler's regime, right? Over six million Jews were killed along with others, millions of others. Uh, So the Jews, I think one reason they've been under attack is because God chose them as his holy people. I will be your God and you will be my people. Thus saith the Lord. And so God God chose these people. He, He called them, he cultivated them. He instilled in them a serious regard for his law. And he gave them his law. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. He gave them the law of God so they knew how to live. Has anybody ever read the book, uh, None of These Diseases? It's an older book, None of These Diseases. 
Um, it's written by a, by a medical doctor um, who was a believer, and part of the reason he was a believer was because he looked at science the way it was taught as a medical doctor, and he says there's no way there, there could not be a God. Someone had to design all this. Amen. I mean, just, just the, the amount of corpuscles and muscles and blood vessels you've got in your little thumb says that something's been designed there. It's kind of like, have you ever, have you ever heard the, the argument of design? Anybody have a watch here? Anybody have a watch I can borrow? I promise to give it back. It's not going to be like that $100 bill. You got a watch there? You don't? What's wrong with you? Oh, there's, there's, there's a watch. Yeah. So here's the argument of design, in case you've ever been to the ontology or whatever, on, uh, ontological arguments. So a man's walking along the road, and all of a sudden he finds a watch, and he goes, oh, look at that. There must have been a great explosion here one day to create this thing. <laughs> now, see, that's the argument of design. We know there's a God because someone had to design this. Now, that's just, that, that doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to understand that logic, does it? This watch is so incredible, they call it a smart watch now, right? So... Uh, you know, I am getting older. Didn't I say I was getting older? And I don't always remember what I say. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. That's not, it's not, I, I promised to give it back, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, some of you are going to be really glad when I'm gone. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, so um, when, when we step back and we look at this, what God has done, he, he has been so intentional, and he's chosen the Jews, he gave Moses, their leader, these specific instructions, and these instructions are found all through the, God, all through the Word of God. In fact, just, just for fun, in case you get your Bible, go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter, let's go to chapter 6. Um, and uh, this, is, this, by the way, has what's called the Shema, or the Shema, the Shema, which is the Jewish creed uh, of life, it's affirmation that God is one. It's one of the first places where God begins to help his people understand there's not a lot of gods. There's only one God. Amen. Now, people serve a lot of gods, but the reality is the gods they serve are no gods at all. I am God, God says. So let's get one thing straight. That's what we call monotheism. There's only one God, not polytheism, many gods, uh, w- which is very prevalent in our world today. Uh, but God says, okay, th- thou shall have no other gods before me. There's only one God, right? Ten commandments. But here in... in, in um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and, and verse 1, God starts teaching them. Here, these are the commands, the decrees, the, the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe. Uh, so that you, you and your children and their children, after them, they, they may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it might go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Starting back with Abraham. So here here comes the Shema. 
Hear, O Israel, verse 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now here it comes. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit up and go home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them on the symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses, on the gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you land with large, flourishing cities. You do not build houses filled with all kinds of good things. You did not provide wells. You did not dig vineyards and olive groves. You did not plant. Then when, then when you eat and you are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of savory. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. And if you follow on the rest of that passage, he goes on and says, obey and obey and obey and obey. Do not forget. Be careful to follow the word of God. Why? Because someday you're going to die. Every man's going to die. Every man, woman, boy, and girl is going to die. They're going to fade. They're going to fail like the grass. But my word, (laughs) it's going to last forever. It's eternal. In fact, it had no end. It has no beginning because I've always been. You, You cannot define me because I have no time or space. Yeah, well, I got more to say this morning, but I think I'm done. Um, part of what he did with the Jewish people, which we'll talk about next week, is he gave them uh, different groups of, um, let's call them recorders, maybe scholars, and gave them very specific ways to take the word of God and write it down so there would be absolutely no one who could question the validity, the accuracy of the word of God for thousands of years. So the Sophrim, the Talmudic tribes, given these, that, that was their purpose, was to record the word of God so intricately that they counted the previous copy and the subsequent copy just as anointed and ordained and accurate as the one that was written hundreds of years before. Now, I'm going to show that to you. It's verified. And it will, be, it will bring credulity and validity. You will walk out of here knowing when God's word says, Thus saith the Lord, you know it's God speaking and not man. Wow. And I tell you what, I need this in my life today because I need to know that God's word is true for me, for my children, and my grandchildren. I made this statement to one of my children this week. I am so grateful I'm not having to raise kids today. Parents, Our hearts break for you because we're in a day and age we've never experienced. We're getting close to the end of the days. Christ is coming soon. We need to learn to hang on. We need to be faithful and strong and true. Because God's word will give us strength when we don't have the answers to all the questions. 
It will give us guidance. It will sustain us. It will give us wisdom and understanding to help us get through this time we're going through. Because it's pretty ugly, isn't it? Pretty ugly, and it's going to get worse. That's what the Bible says. So let's learn to rely on his word. Amen, church? His word will never fail us. So now, Lord, um, thank you for this day. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for your word. May we be faithful to it. May we be doers of the word and not hearers only today to bring you glory in our lives. And, Lord, so this week as we leave this place, I ask, God, that you'd walk through our feet. I ask that you would work through our hands. We want to be Jesus to our world. So, Lord, see through our eyes, hear through our ears. Speak through our lips. Lord, more than anything, love through our hearts. That others might know that God, God has revealed himself in Jesus the Christ. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the only way to God our Father. And Lord, as we do that, we'll give you all praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.